Mark Harry, and thank you for joining me once more as we're going to the army. Hello and a very warm welcome to this new series of Going to the Army. And we commence our new year of podcasts with a specially extended tribute edition to one of the greatest Salvation Army composers of all time. And a man who, in triumphing over the very worst of adversities, became then and remains now a truly inspirational figure. Thank you. 
composers there have been in the history of the Salvation Army, few have as amazing and inspiring a story as that of the writer of that march, Bandmaster George Marshall, Order of the Founder. Born in 1887, he was a fit, athletic man who worked as a coal miner and dedicated his leisure time to Salvation Army music playing the piano and his trombone as a young man, studying the theory and composition of music, and then becoming bandmaster of the South Shields Corps. He had his first music published by the Salvation Army in January 1912, and there followed a steady stream of marches, selections, songs, and more extended arrangements for both bands and singers over the next 44 years. Around 250 compositions in all flowed from his pen, many of which are still part of the Army's songbook and band repertoires almost a century later. The march we began with, Soldiers of Christ, remains today one of the most favourite of Bandmaster Marshall's compositions, yet it was just the second time he had written for Brass Band. The march, published in 1912 when George was just 25 years old, was only preceded by The Citadel, a work that remains, to my knowledge, and despite extensive research, never to have been properly recorded. However, even The Citadel was preceded by George's first song composition, for that was published in January 1912. I don't believe this has been recorded before, but this was his first published piece, a setting of Charles Wesley's popular hymn, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Jesus, Lover of My Soul, let me to Thy bosom fly
In April 1918, George married Jenny Berry, who's described as a dark-haired, vivacious contralto soloist in the Songster Brigade. And two weeks after the wedding, George fractured his wrist in the mine and was unable to work for several weeks. When he went back to work, his young wife was very worried. He went back to work with her warning ringing in his ears, Don't let the stones fall on you, George! for she had a premonition of a greater disaster to come. George's reply was typical of miners, that you can't take too much notice of fear-mongering or you'd never get to work. Yet on Tuesday, August the 13th, 1918, a sound like thunder whipped through the mine at Whitburn Colliery. Part of the mine roof had collapsed. Three miles out to sea and far, far underground, George Marshall was the man in charge of a crew of 12 men who were using one of the first mechanical coal cutters in the industry's history. Yes, the roof of the mine had collapsed and George was indeed underneath the rockfall. His back was broken and he was taken from the mine and to hospital in a most grave and hopeless condition. Five years earlier, George had written the march, Our Army Brave and True, and bravery was needed for George, Jenny, and his many friends and comrades, both at work and at the army, at that time. Thank you. 
Fortunately, Jenny was not the type of young lady to feel resentment that her warning had gone unheeded. She was a strong-willed, dedicated and caring Christian wife who bore the news of her husband's accident with great fortitude and dutifully sat by her broken husband's bedside for weeks after the accident. She had been told that her husband George's death was an absolute certainty. It could come at any hour of the day, however hard he fought, and she should be prepared for that. There was no hope of him surviving at all. You could not survive those injuries. If ever George and Jenny needed their Lord to be near, it was then. In 1914 they had penned a song together, Jenny writing the words and George the music, with just that very title, Be Thou Near. Immediately upon his admission to hospital, 
George had been given a maximum of two hours to live, and all medical opinion was unanimous. His life was almost over. George had been conscious for much of the time in hospital, but was in permanent agony as he lay there, helpless. However, he found his faith in God renewed. Any doubts that may have surrounded him before the accident disappeared, as in his bed he once again committed his life and service to the Lord he had always loved and served. Though temptations and opportunities had come his way, he whispered through his pain to Jenny, Thy will be done, and was ready to meet his Maker. Jesus himself drew near.
Jesus Himself Drew Near was George Marshall's favourite composition, and many years later those words were to appear on his headstone, along with the Salvation Army crest. As George lay in his bed one day, suddenly the silence and solemn atmosphere of the hospital ward was broken by what was, to George, a very familiar sound. Through the open windows came the sound of a Salvation Army band. What a way to lift George Marshall's spirit. The sound of his own composition, the march, yellow, red and blue. to George a further transformation. His spirits lifted and he realised that God had given him a tremendous gift, the gift of writing music. And it was a gift he had gratefully received and had nurtured to the best of his ability through his diligent study and practice. Surely God had not given this gift to him only for it to be buried under the earth at such a young age. He later wrote, 
I often meditated on the sufferings of Jesus. It was not thought possible that many of us in those isolation wards would survive our injuries. I myself was fully resigned to die, for such was my condition that morphine had to be injected into my body through the arm every four hours. But as soon as I started to show signs of recovery, I asked for pencil and paper.
Jenny also thought that her husband could survive. God can do the impossible. She made her own promise to God that if he were allowed George to live, then she would willingly devote the rest of her life to care for him, to meet his every need, in grateful thanks to the Lord and in return for the great love he had given to her and her husband. She took his army tunic with the white epaulets that identified him as bandmaster, placed it on an armchair in their little flat and knelt in prayer to God that in his mercy he would spare George's life. She prayed all night long, and as the dawn broke on a new day, she herself was filled with a new confidence, a confidence that George would not die, but be allowed to go on serving his Lord through music and encouragement for many years to come. She felt God's presence in the stillness. i 
As George's recovery continued to astound the local doctors and nurses up in the northeast of England, the hospital sent for one of the country's most eminent and famous surgeons to visit him and give his opinion. So Sir David Ferrier travelled up from London to South Shields. Having examined and spoken to George Marshall, he delivered what he was certain was a realistic and grave prognosis. Any hopes of this man's life being more than extended into the near future was foolish. There was positively no hope of recovery. This man could not possibly live for more than a few more months at most. George's own reaction was to respect the eminent neurologist's opinion. But he boldly said, Sir David is reckoning without the power of God, and therefore he is mistaken. God has assured me that I shall live, and I shall live. When the doctors first told him the grave news, George Marshall laughed. What a testimony of faith that was by a broken man, a man who had already lost so much. And God was indeed faithful. Sir David Ferrier lived another ten years. George Marshall, another thirty-eight. One of Bandmaster Marshall's most popular pieces from its composition in 1923 right up to the present day, is the selection Army of the Brave. Although the songs it features are long forgotten by most living Salvationists, the piece survives on its own as a fine brass band composition with some beautiful melodies and a super grandstand ending. So here is Army of the Brave. <laughs>
The young George Marshall had been brought up in the Salvation Army and had joined first the Young People's Band and later the Senior Band as a promising trombone player. He found that he often had snippets of new tunes come into his mind. Sometimes these were at the most inopportune moments and he would scribble down these snippets on pieces of cardboard 
with chalk on a wall, and even, after he began working in the mine, on the back of his shovel. But realising he was being shaped for life as a composer of music, he studied the theory of music, then its composition, and he taught himself the rules and conventions of harmony. His first march, as I said earlier, was called the Citadel, and when his own core band first played it, George was invited to conduct, which he did, although the loud applause at the end for the young man's effort made him blush as he returned to his seat in the trombone section. The Citadel was published by the Salvation Army in 1912, and many other marches and compositions soon followed it, usually with incredibly positive and committed titles, including All Round the World, The Burden Bearer, Stand to Arms, On the March, In the Field, Praise Him, and this march, Neath the Flag. Thank you. 
In addition, George was also writing more extended compositions, such as the Meditation on Horbury, and this recording was played by the International Staff Band on their next visit to the northeast of England after George Marshall's promotion to glory, which took place in 1957. This is another recording, never heard before. My father sat in the gallery with a reel-to-reel tape machine, and sadly it was slightly incomplete. But I've managed to edit it together with the staff band's own recording of the piece from 1956, and so this live performance of the piece has never been heard in public before. Of course, the tune Horbury is associated with the words Saviour, I long to be nearer to thee, in word and deed and thought holy to be. O take this heart of mine and seal me ever thine, fill me with love divine for service, Lord. Those words reflected George's own prayer in the hospital ward, and this was a very special piece of music. Horbury.
Over the years, as George recovered so much better than any medical experts could ever have envisaged, he and Jenny regularly thanked God for his goodness in allowing George to live and be able to continue writing music and be involved with Salvation Army music making. But that did not mean they'd fully accepted George's disability completely. George had been a very athletic and fit young man. He loved his sport, and I'm told that despite the army being very much against such things, he occasionally attended football matches as a spectator throughout his life. George wanted to walk again, and he prayed constantly for further healing that he might one day do so. So much so that he really believed that God would answer this prayer. But as time passed, the reality of his situation gradually sank in. It was more than a miracle that he had the life he had. And one day he put his hands on Jenny's shoulders and looking her right in the eye, he asked, We've accepted this chair now, haven't we? Yes, she replied, and they moved on completely to the next part of their lives. When we have a friend in Jesus, it becomes so much easier for us to accept all of life's burdens, trials and tribulations. And this is George Marshall's own setting of that ever-popular hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, published by the Salvation Army as a vocal solo in October 1916. Lord of care, 
precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee, the world find a solace there. I love Jesus, hallelujah, I love Jesus, yes I do. I love Jesus, he's my saviour, Jesus smiles and loves me too. Another type of composition George Marshall experimented with was the piece for solo instrument and band. Most of these, arranged of course for his own instrument the trombone, were classical transcriptions, but he did write original variation solos as well, including this one, which I myself have played many times. In fact, it was the first solo I ever played on euphonium back when I was 12 years old. We now call it Ransomed. But when it was first composed, it bore the name of the tune on which it is based. In evil long I took delight. And it's played for us here by my good friend Peter Wise with the International Staff Band. Ransomed. <laughs> Thank you. 
things that helped George to reach the decision to accept his handicapped situation was the receipt of a set of lyrics from a blind songster from Bristol Citadel. As he read the words, he realised not only God's plan for his life, but also that others gladly served their Lord through their disability. For songster Annie Sage, who sent those words, was herself blind. The song George and Annie wrote together was to become one of the army's all-time classics and one that we still hear occasionally today. My treasure.
It was March 1920 before George Marshall could once again take up the baton and conduct. Returning to the trombone section a few weeks after that, as his deputy conducted. What a moving experience that must have been. George wrote many bright, attractive songs for the open-air meetings and Sunday afternoon praise meetings, amongst which we find this, one of my favourite classic vocal solos, The Old Drummer. boy of ten when the strains of the army music come wafting across the glen come wafting across the glen I stand by the cottage door trembling in every limb my heart is stirred by the drumming and my poor old eyes grow dim. The big-faced drum, it sets my heart a tingling to hear the drums a-mingling with the music sweet, with the music sweet, the many stories told of how George always had time for people. Young children, knowing who he was in the local area, would approach his wheelchair and ask to speak to him, and he always replied. 
He ruffled a young lad's hair once, only for his friend to come and say to him, Hey, mister, will you do that to me too, please? One day, while George was being cared for at home, a knock came on the door. It turned out to be a young Salvationist drummer from New Zealand. He had wanted to visit the bandmaster while he was in England, but he had very limited time before he had to return home. Just a matter of minutes, in fact. Because he had called at a very difficult time, Jenny had had to turn the distraught young man away. But George, on hearing this, insisted that the young man be called back. He did not want the man to go away disappointed. All they had time to do was pray together, but that was enough for an excited young bandsman who had met his hero. Another of George's extended compositions for band was the selection Visions.
George lived in a house named after one of his favourite tunes, Ascalon, to which we in the army now sing the song Fairest Lord Jesus. But in George's time it was more associated with Commissioner John Lawley's song There Where the Saviour Died for Me. But since then, many other people have named their homes after other tunes that were written by George Marshall, including my own mother whose house here in Lincoln in retirement is named Hart and Lee. George's tune to the words, Jesu thou joy of loving heart.
Another of the most popular tunes in the Salvation Army tune book is this one, named after the bandmaster's hometown and core, South Shields, with which we associate the words Saviour, while my heart is tender. After a lifetime of service to God through Salvation Army music, George Marshall was promoted to glory in January 1956. George always loved the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, and he recited it nightly as part of his devotions before sleep with Jenny. One night he woke, somewhat confused and disturbed, thinking he had gone to sleep without praying. His wife assured him that they had indeed done their devotions, as they had done every night during their marriage. But nevertheless, they repeated the psalm together one last time, before George entered his eternal reward, passing through the valley of the shadow of death to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now in the evening, while shadows fall, Grant us thy peace, who give to thee our all.
He had lived for 38 years longer than medicine had promised to allow him. But God knew the plans he had in place for George Marshall. And so much music that has brought blessing and encouragement to millions of people all around the world flowed from his pen in the years of grace that God allowed him. Thank God for George Marshall, and may his music continue to be used in the Salvation Army. We end this special podcast with two more pieces, a setting of the wonderful selection featuring the Festival Chorus and the Canadian Staff Band as we hear Great and Glorious, the title of which was inspired by George Marshall seeing the wild Scottish countryside for the first time. And then, to play us out, we can't finish with anything but another of the bandmaster's finest marches, Mighty to Save. Cheerio, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.
Oh, 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 oh,